Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Episode 99 of The Morning After. I am Jesse Kiefer. I'm Sari Kamen. 99, Sari. Woohoo! We are getting up there. We are getting close. Which means that the next episode will be numero 100. That's what it means. It does. That's what it means in uh, all languages. 100. <laughs> awesome. We have to hear that again before the end of the show. Who did that? God? That was God. That was God. Or there God? The ki- it's the morning after. Well, I, I mean, God of engineers. <laughs> Joe. Mr. Joe. Um, so, thank Sari. You. Oh, <laughs> so, welcome, God. <laughs> Sari, um, I, I want to thank you for holding down the fort while I was away. It oh, was... it was sad without... I mean, it wasn't sad. It was great. <laughs> but I missed you, and that was sad. I had to do all these fun things without Jesse. Exactly. No. Yeah. And you must have missed me being in France and all, drinking all that wine. You know, I... You I, were pining for I it. thought about you for a few seconds. <laughs> <laughs> You're like... I hope she's doing the show right now. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's a six-hour difference. I mean, I did. I truly did think about you. I mean, I know we didn't do a show on Super Bowl Sunday because, I mean, we both wanted to watch the Super Bowl. I'm sure. <laughs> I wanted to watch Puppy Ball. Oh, exactly. No, yeah. that's that's the true reason for that day. If um, I had a TV, that would be the true reason. <laughs> well, I mean, as you can imagine, the Super Bowl was playing all over the place in France. I can. No. no. <laughs> Especially in the Loire vineyard. Yeah, I was I was in a vineyard in an old farmhouse in Bourgogne. There was no television. No HD TV. No, there was Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi as they call it in <laughs> yeah. France. Um Silly French and people. um I will I will admit for a second I did try to see if we could get some uh, some Super Bowl on the on the streaming video, but Really? Yeah, to no avail. They're like it is not supported here in France. <laughs> <laughs> this is not the football we like. Football is soccer. <laughs> football is not this football. <laughs> and I hear it was a terrible game anyway, so... I haven't heard. Oh, you haven't... I, I, I still <laughs> haven't checked. Somehow you avoided it. Who won? Yeah. That's okay. We deal in food. We do. We deal in the food scene. And, we're um, food ballers. We're food ballers. Um, and, you know, at, at the end of the day, I really did do a lot of that in France. Eating. Balling. Balling yeah, and drinking. Did. Um and uh, I've come back with my least favorite bit of, um, of uh, I guess, French fun, which is my cold right now. <laughs> uh, I don't recommend uh, bringing any of that home. But um, who knows? Maybe. Well, thank the- you for bringing that back to me since I noticed you brought me nothing else. <laughs> I t- actually didn't even bring myself anything except this cold <laughs> and all the knowledge and the photos. My co-host went to France and all she brought me back was a cold. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> print it up print that shirt up <laughs> yeah um so while i was in france i uh i met uh, a gentleman josh fontaine who is a restaurateur he's an american restaurant tour in paris um he has three joints la mary celeste uh glass and uh, candelaria and you and i spoke with him earlier in the week mm-hmm. so we'll hear from him um after a couple of breaks but in studio today is uh, Mr. Zach Shapiro Yay. of the uh, the mini doc project 100 Seconds. Um, I was totally blown away watching uh, watching his videos on 100seconds.com. And um, he focuses on, I, I would say, like, 
craftsmen, uh, small business, people making shit people growing shit mm-hmm. um and uh make some great little uh 100 second videos which is a minute a minute 40 so minute we'll 40. a minute 40 we'll talk to josh later in the show and we'll talk to zach right after the break uh sari any last words before we uh before we take a break uh welcome back jesse thank you bienvenue <laughs> bonjour that's really all bonsoir. i picked up <laughs> bonsoir bonjour au revoir actually i wanted to hear how your valentine's day went ah that's probably why i sped through that um i worked <laughs> uh-huh. um I, I really don't i don't don't do anything for valentine's day oh, um, okay sometimes i make it like a card for aaron mm-hmm. last year i made her a shark card Cute. um i cut pictures of great white sharks out of uh f- that i printed out from the computer and then hearts um and she was like, why did you give me a shark card? I don't like sharks. Hmm. Sounds but like I you like guys sharks. really get each other. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was cute. I mean, I, I like to make things like that. But um, I figured since, both of us figured since we just went to France and, yeah, and spent that's, a that's romantic, romantic weekend in Paris, um, we didn't really need to celebrate va- Valentine's Day. What'd you do? Um, I had a slumber party. Oh, yeah? What with- kind of slumber party? Um, a platonic one with <laughs> some of my best girlfriends. Was it a sweatpants and caviar party? Yeah. <laughs> well, it was a sweatpants party again. <laughs> See, that's the theme of all my parties. Um, I just wear sweatpants and don't get laid and um, <laughs> eat a lot. Valentine's Day <laughs> it is was bullshit. Pretty romantic. Sarah, it's totally uh-huh. fine. I made a lot of really romantic food, like cheese <laughs> and wine. I didn't make cheese, and I had heart-shaped raviolis, and um, we all just drank and it was actually very warm and loving and there was no like ah we hate men or like you know poke the pillow and pretend he's a guy none none of that none of that dolls no voodoo dolls just heart-shaped ravioli how did you make heart-shaped ravioli um i bought it at this place called caputo's in court street (laughs) grocers and i actually boiled it quickly because it was fresh okay um (laughs) i i totally would expect that from you though you could make something like that i could but considering i don't have any time to do anything except come here (laughs) i feel you (laughs) um i didn't so anyway they were great they were delicious yay caputos thank you what makes them red beet juice beet juice yeah and then inside was cheese little ricotta little ricotta and they were they were heart shaped they were so cute. That is really freaking cute. And yeah. I see in the studio, no, no, obviously the, the people out there can't see, but uh, Sari is definitely taking advantage of the um, after Valentine's Day sale on candies and cookies mm-hmm. and cupcakes. And we have some Entenmann's uh, Valentine's Golden Cupcakes. If uh, you're in the neighborhood, come and get them because no one wants them here. <laughs> we'll have to try one by the end of the show. Okay. Have you, how many have you had? I've had zero. Zero. Why yeah. you, did you, were you like, oh, you know. Someone brought them to my house <laughs> okay, for the party. <laughs> <laughs> they did not make those. I don't. I, I had Mrs. Entenmann's at my party, <laughs> and she brought her homemade cupcakes. <laughs> Amazing. She looks great in sweatpants. She, great. she probably needs she them. She loves my raviolis. <laughs> <laughs> I feel a lot of love. Mm-hmm. You want to take a break? Yeah. All right. We'll be right back with Zach Shapiro. 100 seconds. Bye. You are listening to Oh Lord by Yula on the morning after, only on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? 
Our Northeast regional forager from Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. And we're back. You're listening to The Morning After on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. This is Sari Kamen in the studio with my co-host, Jesse Kiefer. I'm so happy she's back from Paris. Um, we are also in the studio today with a longtime friend of mine. His name is Zach Shapiro. He left Brooklyn. He moved to Portland, Oregon, and now he's a bit of a superstar. So we're very happy to have him in the studio. Hi, Zach. Hello. Hi, Zach. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to Heritage Radio Network and Roberta's. Thanks. Thanks for coming to Bushwick. So um, you're a filmmaker, but you're not just any old filmmaker. You make these... Uh, amazing little kind of mini docu- documentaries in your own mm-hmm. words. And you have your own company that you started called 100seconds.com. Right. And all of your little films are 100 seconds. Correct. Which, I mean, it's, they're really 100 seconds. I mean, I checked. <laughs> Every single <laughs> Every one. single movie ends exactly at one minute and 40 seconds. And that's yes. kind of a remarkable feat. So before you tell us how you managed to pull that off, because I can't even imagine like the technicality behind that. Uh, Why don't you tell us why you left Brooklyn? Why this project? I mean, because honestly, I don't really, it's like you were bartending at a restaurant with me. And then the next day they were like, oh, now he lives in Portland and he's a filmmaker. (laughs) So I really kind of like don't know what's going on. Haven't you seen the show Portlandia? I have. It's it's where young people go to retire. Yeah, exactly. Is it about you? (laughs) Pretty much. Because it it seems like it. (laughs) (laughs) I feel retired. (laughs) Not even close. (laughs) Yeah. So tell us, um, tell us about the, the conception of 100 seconds. Well, uh, when I moved back to Portland, um, basically it just came to me one day when I woke up, I woke up really early at like six o'clock in the morning for some reason. And, um, I had this idea to make these little 100 second mini documentaries and the logo was in my head and, and, um, everything, the whole, the whole concept. And so <clears throat> you had like a come to Jesus moment. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I learned how to make films, um, when I was cooking at the American Academy in Rome and, uh, at the Rome sustainable food project, which is a uh, Alice waters uh, project. And, uh, <clears throat> while I was cooking there, I made this little short video about the time, the time that I spent there with all, with all the other cooks and, uh, other interns. And, um, and so I made this this little uh, this little film, passed it out to everybody, and uh, it was kind of just to remember our time spent together. And um, and I asked the chef, "Hey, could I come back and make like a real documentary about this?" And so I flew back to Brooklyn, and uh, met up with a friend of mine who happened to have like all the gear that we would need. Mm-hmm. And uh, I raised a bunch of money and flew back to Italy and made this um this movie called Rome Food Movie. Wow. Which is not 100 seconds. <laughs> that one's not. How many seconds is that? <laughs> That's uh, it's a lot more seconds. It's 13 minutes. But it took me two years to make this, this, uh, this film. And um, over those two years, I learned how to edit, how to shoot. Um, 
you know, everything that I would need to start 100 seconds. Okay. So what made you, what made you want to do 100 seconds after doing a 13 minute film? That took you two years. <laughs> right. I know, right? Like, how where is the payoff? Yeah. That? And then also if you could, in the same question, answer how long it takes you to make a 100 second film. Oh, it takes a long time usually because you have this 100 second parameter, you know? Mm-hmm. So to try and fit, that's the, that's the biggest challenge with these is to try and fit you know, the whole story into this 100 seconds. So you really have to, um, they call it killing your puppies or drowning your babies. Or, I've heard that, yeah. It's not nice, it's not <laughs> pretty. But, but, you know, you have all this great footage and, and these great moments that you capture with people and you have to get rid of it because it, it doesn't all fit. And um, that's kind of my whole idea with 100 seconds. You must want to make like 18 different 100 second films. Sometimes. <laughs> that would take a long time. That would take a long time. That would yeah. take a long time. Yeah. Um, but the whole idea is to give, you know, it's like a, it's like a promise. Like I promise to give you um, this person or this business all the important things about it in 100 seconds. You know? Yeah. So these little films that you're making are generally um, for the purpose of marketing. It feels like from, you know, from when I was yeah. looking on your website. So different businesses approach you, I'm assuming, or you approach them. How does that relationship work? Uh, yeah, it's kind of a little bit of both. Um, as I grow, word of mouth, you know, um, people are now approaching me more. But in the beginning, I just approached all my friends, you know, who, um, who do cool stuff. The first one that I made, <clears throat> it was a test, uh, was to do mole in 100 seconds. Um, I worked in the restaurant business for 20 years, 10 in the kitchen, 10 in the front of the house, and... And um, about 20 years ago, I worked with this guy, Oswaldo Bibiano, who has a restaurant. He has three restaurants in Portland now. And um, so when I went back to Portland, I had this idea to make 100 seconds. I was like, hey, Oswaldo, why don't we make a video of mole in 100 seconds? And I figured that if I could do that, if I could show the 14-hour process of making mole in 100 seconds, then I could make a 100-second video about anything. Okay, so here's what's brilliant about your films, from, in my humble opinion. They don't feel like they're only two minutes because it's hard to process that you could have that much of an understanding and have an emotional connection to something in only one minute and 40 seconds. I'm sorry. They don't feel like they're 100 seconds because right. it's hard to understand like how you could feel like you have. There's so much depth in the comprehension you have of the subject after watching it. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like the perfect time because it's like I get it you've sponged it up uh-huh. and then it's done. And you're like, that was the perfect bite, but it doesn't feel like too little. It, it doesn't right. leave you lacking. No, it, it, it makes you want more. It makes, that's what it's supposed to do. Right. And then yeah. you go to the website or then you want to go to the, <clears throat> the business and check it out, you know? And, and yeah, more. but I still had a visceral connection to it, which mm-hmm. sort of like shocked me after something that was cool. so quick because usually, you know, you, and any sort of normal, Thing that you're watching like any sort of media after two minutes you're like you know nothing about it generally you have mm-hmm. to like dig and dig and dig mm-hmm. and you just kind of bring to surface like all the really important nuggets of information that you need to mm. know and you do that really effectively visually more than anything else which is what really struck me oh, and you have a very um kind of like distinct aesthetic and it was really cool to see how that same kind of aesthetic would reappear regardless of what the topic was mm. like you're very into um you know, close-ups and, like, certain mm-hmm. angles. And there's an architecture in all of your films, regardless of you're talking about, like, physical building space or food. Mm-hmm. And I really liked thinking about, you know, especially the things like mole or pasta, like the shapes. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And so it's, but it does seem, I mean, I'm sure because of your 20 years with, with restaurants and cooking, there's definitely something going on with like between you and food. And so when you started this, I'm just wondering like, I mean, you seem to have some about different companies too. So how much of this do you want to be about food? Like what's, what's the mission, I guess, is what I'm asking <clears throat> behind creating these hmm. for you. Well, the mission, I mean, the original mission that I had was uh, to, to help smaller businesses compete with larger ones, you know? I mean, <clears throat> that, was my, yeah, that was my original goal. That was my, you know, I was living, I just moved back to Portland. Like I wanted to to live that Portlandia kind of thing, I guess. I don't know. Um, no, but I wanted to really help like, like this pasta maker, exa- for example, you know, like I just want to help him kind of share all the, all that he puts into it, you know, cause you're not, if you read it on the back of the pasta bag or on his website, it's not the same, you know, as hearing him say it himself. Yeah. And, um, so I just want to help people like that who have, who are so passionate about what they do. I just want to help them, um, share that in the most authentic way possible, you know? So what's your initial approach to the interview? What do you, what do you do first when you, when you get on site to, to start one of these videos? Hmm. The first thing, well, you got to pick the location, I guess, where you're going to interview. You're them. on the location. Oh, sorry. Already. I mean, but like where, you know, like, <clears throat> are you, you know, for example, the, the pasta guy, you know, like, are we going to interview him in front of his pasta machine? Or are we going to do it, you know, at his house? Like, Where's the best sound? Um, is that what you mean? Like, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I guess I because Sari is talking about the storytelling quality of these videos. Oh. Um, you you obviously you have an eye for that, but you you have to set it up. They're right. not just going to all of a sudden be standing in front of their stained glass window and right. you know. So how I guess like and what questions do you do you lead them into to to really tell the story themselves? Because there's no narration at all. It's mm-hmm. just the the craftsman the person who makes this item telling the story really we do it just kind of like how we're doing doing it right now we just have a conversation you know just want to like i just want to make them comfortable and uh and just relax and then just ask them questions just like you're asking me um and just talk about i really like to ask people like how how things make them feel you know like how did it how did it feel when you got that pasta machine, you know, when it was delivered. And how did you feel when you first, like, made your first batch of, like, dried pasta and Whole Foods bought it, you know? Like, how did that feel to you to be successful, you know? Yeah. Or, or other, um, I don't know, big, big moments, I guess, in their businesses. So when you're in the editing room and you've got, I don't know how much footage you usually come away with. I always come away with way too much. Well, Clearly, like, if you come away with which is more a good than you thing. need, yeah, it's uh, a good thing. It's good, but, but is it like an hour? Is it? Too- oh no way! Like oh, okay. hours, hours. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. So it's like it's a lot of editing, a lot of sifting. I'm kind of a shooting maniac. I just shoot like way yeah. too much. Yeah, and then so how do you decide? You know what what stays and what goes? And when you're you know so to speak killing your babies, like. Is it what you have? What you find you have the emotional connection to? I mean, mm-hmm. how much of is it? How much is it? your voice and how much is it you know what you think they would want mm. <clears throat> sorry i'm a little sick too i, I think the, everyone is okay. solidarity the, brother uh, <laughs> <laughs> there you go <clears throat> excuse me um yeah uh it's definitely a little bit of both i mean yeah there's sometimes that where uh, there's just like the perfect shot of the most perfect 
piece of pasta or whatever or the perfect vegetable at the farmer's market but like it totally doesn't make sense to use it but you can't you can't you can't just it just doesn't fit you know that must be really tough it's really tough sometimes yeah yeah so I saw that you did a little film on the new Amsterdam market. Yeah. And that was really cool. I mean, because first of all, it's it's in New York. So, yeah. you know, as New Yorkers like that. And I mean, that's a cause that here at Heritage Radio Network, we've been really involved with as, as far as like saving mm-hmm. Fulton Fish Market and Heritage Radio Network um, has been an active presence at the new Amsterdam markets. Uh, throughout the season until it was freezing and they went away. <laughs> um, but how did you get involved with, uh, it's Robert Laval. Yeah. Yeah. Lavalva. Lavalva. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how did, did you find him? Did he find you? Uh, I was, <clears throat> I used to volunteer at the New Amsterdam market. Um, I can't remember what year that was. It was kind of more in the beginning. Um, and that was before, that was before I had 100 seconds. And then, you know, I come back to New York often and uh, it was one of my trips, and I was, you know, I was, it was kind of in the beginning of my business, and, and so I was always looking for, like, cool things that I wanted to make videos about, and so I offered to make one for, for New Amsterdam Market, because it's something that, that I totally believe in. So you volunteered to do it? Yeah, totally. Wow. I mean, this is a really kind of special thing, because you're not just, like, showcasing someone's mole. You're not just, you mm-hmm. know, advertising for them. You, this is a cause, and, yeah. you're, and you're supporting your talents um, to help this cause and yeah. you know Amster- New Amsterdam market is being threatened right now by uh, real estate and mm-hmm. you know it's sort of to be seen at this point whether they'll survive or not and um, you know it's, it's an uphill battle for them yeah for sure so y- that's that's wonderful well, and I want- I, how how is this effective or do you think your video has had any support or you know is it out there in the world uh, that's that's a really hard part is to get them out there to get them like seen you know you can make videos all day but to get people to watch them is is the other trick um and and that's really not (laughs) i I do more like you know just i like making them more you know yeah and then like the life that they have after that is kind of just hand it over so i so i just kind of handed it over i mean i posted it on facebook and you know I don't know. That's, there's a lot to learn about. I'm learning that there's a ton to learn about, like having a video production company. <laughs> Is it just you, and, or do you have people that work uh, with you? I'm just starting to work with some some other people. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but you know, it has been just me for 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 three years, I guess. Do really. you have a yeah. favorite video that you've made? A favorite? Uh, I mean, there's there's so many favorites. Um, the Concrete Works Jesse Street project, which is the second one on the site, is definitely a favorite. Um, the first one, I just made this pasta video uh, with uh, Chris Becker, who was the opening um, pasta chef at Del Posto, I think. We used to work together at Lupa a long time ago. And, um, yeah, that's that's a favorite for sure. Um, Uno Mas is, a taco- is Oswaldo's Taqueria in, in Portland. Um I feel like I have to name all of them if I start. Just say all of them. All of them, yeah. So if if someone wanted to work with you, how would they contact you if they're interested in having you do a video for them? Um, You could just contact me at uh, Zach at 100seconds.com. Z-A-C-H. Yeah, Z-A-C-H. At at (laughs) 100seconds.com. I do. So your website is 100seconds.com. And is it the number 100 or is it spelled out? No, it's it's all spelled out. Okay, great. Okay. Wow. Well, thanks, Zach. That was really, really cool hearing about that. And I, I love your videos. Cool. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. We're going to take a break and we'll be back with Joshua Fontaine from Paris. 
You're listening to Bone Density by Eula on the Heritage Radio Network.org. I was lucky enough to spend two weeks in, in France, and uh, I got to meet a really awesome guy, uh, Josh Fontaine, who owns uh, three restaurant bars in Paris, France. Lucky guy. Um, he's kind of bringing the Brooklyn to, to Paris. Uh, his restaurants are Candelaria, Glass, and Le Marie Celeste. Josh Fontaine, are you there? I'm here. Welcome, to, welcome to the morning after. Um, thank you. I, again, want to thank you for, for taking me around Paris and uh, showing me what's real. <laughs> it's my pleasure. My pleasure. I had a good time. So I know that you, um, you're, you're, you're an American guy. You're, you're from Connecticut. And uh, you yes. definitely spent your time in, in New York City restaurants. What, uh, what pushed you to Paris, aside from the obvious reasons? Yes, all the obvious reasons were, were definitely part of it. But uh, I was just getting a little bit bored and and a little bit tired of the whole new york uh new york lifestyle speedy speedy gonzalez and all that stuff so um and i wanted to go back to school and i'd been taking some french lessons in uh in new york just for fun so i figured if i wanted to get my master's why not go to paris do it there really learn a second language um and so i was in new york for about 10 years before i left and uh, and then I got here in August of 2008 and started going to school full-time. And did you need to get a, a restaurant gig while you were in school? I did. About my money started running out maybe five months after that. <laughs> so I started looking around. Yeah, it happens quick with the, with the exchange rate. Oh, yeah, totally. So, so I, um, where was I? Oh, yes. So, money running out, need to get a job, and uh, my friend was working for this nightclub, which is very short-lived. It's actually called New York Club. <laughs> gross, gross place. Um, so, I started working there, but I only lasted about two weekends because I didn't actually know any of the drinks that they were trying to, that the customers were ordering. Um, they're all foreign, very, like, kind of very French uh, cafe bar drinks that are foreign to, to American ears. And you were and like, this is New York Club. Or yeah, New this York is New York drinks. Club. Right. Here's your Long Island and iced tea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Long Island iced tea and Boxitonic, New York drinks. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I only lasted there for about two weeks. Plus, it was the, the hours I was walking out at like 8 in the morning and going to school. I didn't really jive with it. So, um, a few weeks after that, I get a job at a place called Experimental Cocktail Club, uh, which is still open now. Very good bar. Um, good friends of ours, and that's where I met Karina, who was my, is now my business partner, and was then managing bar. So ultimately, so, so was, was your immediate decision to to open a a bar, to open a restaurant? Um, you know, what kind of got you started on on thinking about opening your own place? Um, I mean, it definitely wasn't an immediate decision because that was probably in two thousand nine. I guess we didn't open Kendall until March of two thousand eleven. But I was just, uh, you know, I was just working there on the weekends while I was going to school. So it wasn't really my main thing. It was just a way to make, make some money and make ends meet while I was going through school. And then Karina and Adam got married. Adam's also, he's a third business partner. He's from Connecticut as well. Also went to NYU, also lived in New York. But we didn't meet until, until Paris, yeah. So, um, 
And then uh, they went on their honeymoon, came back, and they were like, Karina was um, looking to move on from experimental, and Adam had gone to uh, cooking school here and was working at restaurants and uh, some other places. And we kind of all just started talking and had the idea to, to open our own place, which is definitely, as I said, not the main reason I moved to Paris. But uh, that's how it happened. So um, your first place is Candelaria, which yes. I think you guys are kind of called the kids who brought tacos to Paris. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say that. <laughs> you lucky guy, you lucky guy. Some, yeah, so- if, if you have to say, say that, yes, you can say that. But, um, I mean, there were, there were Mexican places, of course, in Paris, more on the Tex-Mex side of things before we opened, but a lot of them were using a lot of, um, you know, frozen ingredients or not fresh things, so we wanted to do everything, you know, made by hand, made from scratch every day. So that's kind of where we made, and as authentic and truly Mexican as we could make it and not be a Tex-Mex place serving chili con carne and this kind of stuff and not have, uh, you know, sombreros on the wall and, like, mariachi music playing in the background. So, so. Yeah. You have the you have like the the storefront kind of little taqueria, and then you you know very PDT and Criff Dog style where you you walk through the taqueria to you know a, a just you know a secret door and uh, and you're in this really loungy kind of chic cocktail club. Was that that concept the the first concept you thought of? Um, it wasn't really the concept from the beginning. We wanted to do we knew we wanted to do uh, a Mexican place and. Since we were kind of a little bit known for cocktails beforehand, we definitely wanted to, I mean, the, the main base of the place was a cocktail bar, but we were thinking of doing kind of a Mexican restaurant and cocktail bar. But then we found the location that we really liked a lot in, in the Marais that you've been to, and it's a very awkward, weird location. But we really uh, liked that neighborhood, and we'd been looking for about six months for a space. And... Uh, so we decided, you know, we brainstormed a lot and, and came up with the, the layout that you see, see now. Josh, which, what's, uh, what's awkward being... and weird about it? <laughs> uh, I, I wasn't lucky enough to, to tag along with Jesse and the Marais. Oh, um, yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a tiny, it's, the landlord had two spaces actually, and they, it's basically like a corner building, like a triangle corner building. So both spaces were accessible from different streets, from different sides of the building. And before we had it, uh, it was vacant for about a year, and he did a lot of renovations, one of which was blowing out the wall between both of them and also making a basement. So you have this one tiny little, maybe 15-meter square uh, thing on one side, which ended up becoming the Takari in the main entrance. And then the bar is on the other side, um, and it does have an actually... We have a fire exit out onto the street there, but nobody really realizes it. <laughs> um, it's about a 40 or 50 meter square, square meter place in back. So, yeah, it's a very unusual, non- unconventional layout. Um, there's nothing square. There's like almost no square corners in the place. So we had to kind of work with that and uh, and do what we could. So we ended up kind of separating the spaces more than we originally wanted to. And the whole kind of, like, secret door kind of thing came into it uh, just as a fun thing to do and something different for different for Paris at the time. 
I can only imagine that a build-out of a restaurant in Paris is is kind of a headache because of so many historical, ancient buildings. I, I am, you know, in being there, it is a really efficient modern city, but with these, you know, really ancient facades. Did you run into any um, any obstacles while you were building out the space? We didn't. It's actually easier to on that level to uh, open a place in Paris than it is in in New York. Uh, you're supposed to kind of declare to the buildings department that you're doing something, but you don't actually need their permission as you do in the U in the U S. <laughs> so we basically got the keys and the next afternoon, the entire interior was destroyed and we started going to work. So no permissions, no asking anybody, no doing anything. It's, it's, it's actually pretty easy. If you stay inside the four walls of your space in Paris, you can pretty much do whatever you want unless you're in a historically protected building. Oh, wow. But um, once you get outside of it, it gets to be uh, big issues. But when you're inside, you can pretty much do whatever you want, as long as you respect fire exits and, and all these kinds of things. So uh, we're pretty lucky in that. And, you know, if you change the facade of a building, then you definitely have to go through all this uh, administrative red tape. But we didn't do anything to the outside, except we give it a paint job. I, uh, with, I, with the taco sh- Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just saying bye to a dude that's in the office. <laughs> just like all the friends walking through, walking by. Yeah, yeah. American in Paris. Yeah. All hanging out, eating tacos. <laughs> talking trash about America. <laughs> None of that. Um, well, I can, no, I, I can imagine with a, with a taqueria and then your other, uh, your other joint, Glass, uh, where you're doing kind of like American-style hot dogs, those, those kind of food items don't necessarily exist in France. Like uh, cilantro, no, I, I didn't see is, any of that, or like yeah, but which is buns. why we're doing it. You know, I mean the well, we can de- get cilantro definitely, but the hot dog buns were was a difficult was a difficult item to find. You know, like split top New England style hot dog buns. So our friends um, have a have a food company. Actually, they're two Americans. It's an American couple called Emperor Norton, and uh, they make the buns and all our pickles. Everything's homemade and delivered every day to Glass. So, yeah, try to keep the try to keep the quality up. Even though Glass is definitely not a food place, it's just more of a, like a bar snack. But we definitely actually do have some recognition for the hot dogs there because of the work we put into them, which is you know I'm glad about. With um with dining in Paris, uh, I mean uh, your your restaurant La Marie Celeste doesn't really stand apart just because of the style of food, but kind of the style of dining. What's the, the normal style of, of dining in Paris and what sets your restaurant apart from, from that? I mean, it's definitely the, the traditional style of dining here is, uh, especially for dinner, is a set menu. Um, even in a small bistro where you'll have, you know, you can get the, the starter and the main course, the main course and the dessert or all three for, you know, three different prices. Um, a la carte is available in a lot of places too, but it's generally ends up running you more than, uh, than the menu. Um, that being said, you know, it is 2014. So a lot of, you know, new places are popping up. Paris had a crazy burger trend recently, which hasn't actually stopped yet, which is getting a little bit, getting a little bit tiresome. Um, so People are open to eating, uh, you know, eating with their hands and eating uh, more different styles of food and different ways of dining. And, you know, there, there are, um, 
like you know two billion sandwiches sold here per year in the in the bakeries. So uh, they definitely <clears throat> are not averse to American style eating, but um, for dinner, the the overarching um, mode is definitely the traditional three courses. So at Mary Celeste, we're doing more of the. Um, I mean, we kind of envision Mary Celeste as more of almost like a Japanese izakaya kind of vibe where you can just eat and drink and eat and drink and continue. Like you don't have to just order once and then get your bill and then leave. So, you know, you come in, you have some oysters, have a cocktail and be like, okay, well, let's just stay here and eat, get a bottle of wine, get some more food. Very easy kind of casual, casual dining experience. Uh, most of the plates are share, share size. We do small, some small things, some bigger things, uh, the raw bar and then, natural wine focus and cocktails of course because that's a little bit of our our signature thing and it's also the uh, the idea of reservations when that was kind of the thing that threw me the most and it, it i wasn't sure how to plan out my my week there was you have to make a reservation you have to make a reservation for lunch you have to make a reservation reservation for dinner i mean there are certain places you can just walk into but for the most part that's what you do um and you aren't I mean, you you accept them at your restaurants, but it's it's uh, we do. I mean, only at Mary Celeste we accept them, and just for the beginning part of the night. And we really try to do more of the walk-in kind of casual thing, so it can be a neighborhood place where you don't have to plan out, you know, a week in advance that you want to eat there. We never wanted a place like that, but definitely the places that are high on the list for you know the foodie kind of uh, you know tourist or a place where tourists would like to go, definitely you do need to uh, reserve in advance um, a month, maybe. Mm-hmm. Two weeks usually you can get it, but a month, two months for places like Spring or Septim or Frenchie or things like that are on the, a lot of the food blogs. So, yeah, we do like cultivating more of the walk-in culture, more of the, you know, neighborhoody, easygoing vibes, but it's not always easy with uh, with French people. I always want to reserve for everything. <laughs> Josh, I'm just curious. Um, when I was in Paris, which was a couple years ago, it just it just feels like everything there is French. You know, like every restaurant's French, and you know every restaurant has like the same couple of like signature items, like croque monsieur, whatever. Um, what's the reception like to having something so different? Like, were, did, were there expectations towards the tacos, or were most people already familiar with that style of food? Um, people were familiar more with the words and i mean people do make tacos like at home you know like old el paso type style mm-hmm. but definitely you know serving uh soft tortilla like soft corn tortilla homemade kind of really mexican style and like um very authentic in terms of uh spice level um people were a little bit shocked by that i think but it ends up being kind of a you know, that's the thing that sets you apart. You're not, we don't try to cater to a specific French palate or whatever the idea of a French palate might be. Um, we don't tone down any spices and we're not afraid to use, you know, foreign ingredients, things like this. Uh, but there are, I mean, there is in the past few years a lot of places opening, like I said, burgers, hot dogs, uh, Mexican, um, kind of small plate kind of places, tons of Japanese inspired, um, places. So people definitely are, you know, open to and excited about new kinds of uh, places that are not just French. And French people, of course, travel a lot. You know, being in Europe, it's it's very easy to travel to a lot of different countries and experience a lot of different cuisines. Do you think there's any sort of like, you know, old school 
mentality that all these new places that are coming in <clears throat> and um, kind of gentrifying the food scene there, it's, it's, it's a threat at all to, like, the, the classic French cuisine? No, I don't. I mean, I think some people maybe might feel a little bit weird about it, but I think, uh, you know, there's more than enough French places in, in France and in Paris especially, so I don't think... And those places are very busy. They're very good. I mean, I have some friends, uh, some young French friends that just opened recently in Paris, you know, a new place that's kind of contemporary design. But what's on the plate is like Supreme de Volaille and uh, foie gras and terrine and fish soup and all these like very traditional items. So there are even new restaurants opening that specialize in classic bistro food. So it's definitely not dying out. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't see it. I don't see it dying out. I think it's it's healthy to have a little bit of variety um, in the dining scene. Everybody just gets bored. <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, when I was there, there seemed to be quite an obsession with with Brooklyn. Like someone, a, a waiter would say, "Where are you from?" And instead of saying New York, I would say Brooklyn. And they were like, "Oh, oh you must be cool." <laughs> what is the, what is that obsession yeah. about? <laughs> I mean that's that's pretty much worldwide. I think. I mean, everywhere yeah. you go now, everybody's like Brooklyn. That's Brooklyn style. Brooklyn style. Brooklyn style. <laughs> Which I mean, I do I do think there'll be a backlash against that in general. I think What's going to happen? To, I mean, yeah. I think. I mean, I just think that. I mean, every new place that opens here, that's like not a traditional French, you know, decoration or something, or like very sober decoration. Everybody's like, oh, it's so funky. It's very. Brooklyn style, Brooklyn style, everything's Brooklyn style. When maybe it's not Brooklyn style, maybe yeah, it's Brooklyn style. Does anyone know what that means? Tokyo or style, or <laughs> yeah. no? I mean, everybody just says any, anything that's different, a little bit like hip. Everybody calls it Brooklyn style, and you know, you could you could find it anywhere, or not anywhere, <laughs> but definitely not in Brooklyn. You know, yeah, Mexico City style or whatever. But everybody just says Brooklyn just because it's like the flash word worldwide. So I do think there's going to be a, a backlash against that uh, very soon. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I better Watch get, out. I better get moving. Add your kids. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you gotta you gotta find a new place. Just moving further out on the L isn't gonna do it. You gotta get out of the get out of the borough. Get out of the borough. Maybe we'll just come to Paris. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not going to I'm not going to Queens, no so way. I might have to yeah. leave New York. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you gotta do We're like you best. know next thing is like New Orleans style or Denver style or something. Denver style. Yeah, totally. I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know. You've been in Paris too long. <laughs> yeah. um, Josh, do you have anything else uh, restaurant-wise on the agenda? Uh, we don't at the moment. We're exploring a lot of a lot of opportunities, uh, some consulting things uh, in Paris and maybe abroad. We're doing um, things that we're planning right now. We're doing a couple pop-ups with Marie Celeste in uh, Antwerp, Stockholm, and uh, Copenhagen coming up just for fun. Um, but we don't have any concrete uh, projects yet. Like I said, we're trying to see what our next step is if we want to do something else in Paris or try to do something uh, internationally. So just uh, taking our time, making sure everything is running running well here, and then we'll see where we're going to go. Awesome. Can you, uh, if anybody is, is on their way to Paris, uh, where can they check out uh, these three spots? Uh, so Candelaria and Marie Celeste are very close to each other in the Marais, in the third, right south of the Republic. Mm-hmm. And Glass is in Pigalle, new, like, kind of Brooklyn neighborhood. <laughs> um, no, Josh, it's French. <laughs> strangely enough, called 
so no, maybe my French people they call it soapy. South so- Pigal, you know, oh, Soho man. soapy. Okay. Yeah, soapy. Soapy. So hot um, right now. Yeah. So yes, right uh, right off the Pigal metro stop, not far from Moulin Rouge and all these places you might have might have heard of. So you can good, hit up good, the Moulin good Rouge area, afterwards. Good area to party. The, I heard the yeah. Moulin Rouge is super Brooklyn. Dude, bangies. <laughs> oh, bang. Thurston, Thurston Moore played there on Sunday night. So. Oh, I heard that too. Right after. Yeah. I knew about it. That's legit. That's kind of true. It's kind of true. <laughs> yeah. Josh, thank you so much for, uh, for being on The Morning After. Have a fantastic evening in Paris. Thanks, Josh. Thank you. Au revoir. See you soon. Au revoir. <laughs> I, I have to recommend to uh, anyone who hasn't heard of this city called Paris uh, to uh, to go check it out. It was a fantastic week that I had there. Uh, have you ever heard of the city, Sari? Uh, Paris. <laughs> oui. 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 I heard that a lot. Oui. Uh, yeah, I want to thank you. I want to say thank you to Josh. Baguette. Baguette. <laughs> we called him at like 7 p.m. his time which, um, you know, I, I'm always busy at 7 p.m. my time. I don't know about you. Always busy. Always every time. busy. Always booked. 24-7. Schedule booked. Um, so, again, thank you to Josh. Uh, I know tonight is their uh, one-year anniversary at La Marie Celeste, and I can only imagine the shenanigans. I wish I was there. I, I <laughs> Me, toi. <laughs> <laughs> moi I mean, aussi. <laughs> moi, wait, me, deux. I think that would be. Moi aussi. <laughs> okay, yeah, you totally took French in school. I did not. What? 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 <laughs> Zach Shapiro. Zach, thank you. Oh, uh, thank you. Merci thank beaucoup. Uh, merci. Uh, <laughs> I like your video. <laughs> oh, this is great. Well, bye. No, not bye, because you know what? You what? know what next week is? <gasps> Episode 100. Awesome. I knew we'd hear it again. Tune in next week for some serious surprises. Serious surprises. This has been The Morning After on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.